John chapter 3, verse 13 to chapter 4, verse 6. Okay, so let's read it all together. Okay, chapter 3, verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him, and by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And as I said, the book of 1 John is a book that teaches you how to have fellowship with God. And fellowship is God's purpose when He created us. And so we should not lose fellowship and do anything else. To be more accurate, you cannot do anything without fellowship with God. That the act of doing anything else is actually suffering loss and suffering pain. So we need to continually maintain fellowship with God. And going beyond that, we are not having fellowship just with one, but with the Trinity. And of course, you cannot digest everything that I've said throughout this conference. But if you live by the Spirit that dwells within you, then even if you do not try to understand, as you have fellowship with the Trinity, God, you will experience all of these things. Why do we have to have fellowship with this Trinity God? Because though those these three are God, they have different positions, and they have their own they all have their own characteristic. And so, if you have fellowship with God the Father alone, then you are not receiving the the characteristic and the positions of the Son and the Spirit. And so we need to have fellowship with the Trinity God. 
And as long as we believe that the Spirit dwells within me and we live by that, we will have fellowship with the Trinity. And so you'll be able to move according to the various positions of the Trinity. And their characteristic will continually grow inside of me and will be revealed in me. And so fundamentally, in this three-dimensional world, if you don't have money, your life is going to be uncomfortable, right? And if an issue comes, you have to solve that issue. You have to solve that problem. For example, let's say you have cancer, like today. This cancer isn't something that, that man cannot, cannot solve. And yet, fundamentally, as children of God, because we live with God who transcends space and time, we are not limited to this three-dimensional world. What this means doesn't mean that, that these problems will never come to you, but rather that they cannot obstruct your fellowship with God. They cannot be a reason for you to stop the fellowship with God. And for example, let's say I have two hardships because of this ailment, then God will take me away. Then that death is my glory. Remember, life and death is not the issue. That's why in Philippians, Paul makes this amazing confession. Whether I live or die, God, Jesus is glorified in my body. How amazing is this confession? Even if I live, God is glorified through Paul. And even if he dies, God is glorified in his body. Amen. That's what we want to yearn for. That's what we desire, yes? And so the reason why they could make this confession is because they have fellowship with God who is eternally in the present. This fellowship formulates this character in them. And so, and so this world and the devil cannot be an obstruction to my fellowship with God. And so when we live in this world, no matter what problem the world may give you, don't treat it like a problem. The issue is not the problem itself, but that you are not having fellowship with God. That God is not in the midst of your life. And so do not be deceived by these circumstances. Oh, I don't have money. This is my problem. Oh, this problem, this person is my problem. Oh, my husband is my problem. Oh, my wife is my problem. Okay, you shouldn't say amen here. That's not the place to say amen. I'm saying that that's not the problem. It seems like you fought when you, as you shared secrets yesterday. Okay, remember, it's not about our circumstances. Our circumstances cannot, ca cannot um, cause us to fall. And because the truth dwells within me, that I do not respond to the reality that's before me. 
Let's say someone hates me. Then I can I will not hate that person back. Why? Because the word that says love your enemy dwells within me. And so I'm poor. But inside of me, the word that says that the kingdom of heaven is rich dwells within me. And so the child of God does not respond to their reality, do not respond to their circumstances. They do not acknowledge their circumstances as their truth. Okay, if you look through your eyes, it's a problem. But if you look at it from God's perspective, it's not a problem. And so we need to be able to respond by the truth. I do not believe in my reality, but I believe in the promise. I do not believe in my circumstances, but I believe in Almighty God. Amen? And so when you respond to what you hear, what you see, what you feel, you are being deceived. And so as you continue to have fellowship with this Father, this life starts to become part of your character. That I am not shaken for, for with, with most of the things that happen to me. And so David makes this confession in Psalm 60. That the righteous are not, will not be shaken. That they will never be shaken. That God is the one who is holding me. And because I am with the kingdom of heaven that is not shaken. And so do not be deceived into thinking that this only is for a select few. Whoever you may be, if you are a child of God, this is the life that you are called to. And so it's not a miracle to live this way. Rather, I'm just not living in this uh, limitations of the three-dimensional world. Why? Because our God is the God who transcends the universe. And this is really important from the perspective of the doctrine of God. If He is the Creator God, then He has to fulfill two requirements. He has to transcend the universe, but at the same time, He has to in, uh, intervene in history. And Yahweh is the only God who fulfills both requirements. He transcends the universe and looks down upon the universe, but at the same time, He intervenes to the point where not a single hair would fall from my head without Him knowing. How amazing is our God? That He counts the hairs on your head. And so would He not know what you are worried about? Would He not know what you need? And so back in the day, uh, as, I was, I, as I was getting older, uh, I'm starting to see that I'm losing hair now, you know? And so I can feel God's pain when, when my hair starts to thin. Oh God, another hair fell down. Oh God, another hair fell down. God loves you very much. Uh, God loves bald men very much. Kiss his head. And so, should we lose sight of fellowship with God? 
So, like Daniel, even before death itself, he doesn't lose that sight of that fellowship. And it was not written, recorded in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure while he was in the lion's den, he was using lions as his pillow and as his blanket. No azúcar y tiene tiene no 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 azúcar cero cero ah sí okay so what uh, sorry for not translating but one moment so you need to be a person that can be only moved by heaven that you only move by the impulse of heaven amen like Daniel Isn't that awesome? No, no. So pray, if you want me to come to a conference, pray to God so that God would move me because God alone can move me. But anyways, and so let's look at today's text. So from verse 11 to 24, He's showing evidence of having fellowship with God. So let's look at that evidence. And so first, let's look at evidence of fellowship of love. <coughs> Excuse me. There are many evidence of having fellowship with God, but one of the most important evidence is love. So if you're having fellowship with God, and, but you're hating people around you, that just means that you are not having fellowship with God. And so if you look at people who are doing spiritual gifts, they, their life is dirty and they hate people. There's many people like this. Uh, there's many ways to explanations for this. But ultimately it's because they're engaging spiritual gifts without fellowship with God. And there will come a time where spiritual gifts will eventually be shut down from them. And so if God is working, and God is using me, then I need to have fellowship with God. And evidence of that fellowship is love. If there is no love, that means something is wrong. Because God is love. And that means that God can do nothing but love. This is really important. And we believe that God is love. Then if so, whatever God gives me, I can receive it as love. Even suffering is love. Because whatever God gives me, He only gives me if it's best for me. And so for past 32 years as I've been living with God, He has never given me second best. Always gives me the best. The best wife, the best children, the best church members, the best uh, fellow workers. The best translator. 
Even the suffering, he gives me the best. And so when suffering comes, <laughs> and when suffering comes, I do not complain because whatever God gives me is always the best. That what is God, and that's why I always live in expectation. What is God waiting to give me? Let's say poverty comes to me. Then instead of saying, oh Lord, I need money. Rather, what, how are you going to work out your riches, Lord? That, and let's say I'm being defeated right now. Then I'm, I'm thinking about my next victory. What an amazing victory is in store for me. This is the image of those who live with the living God. As Paul says in Romans 8, see what love God has given us, that nothing can cut me off from that love of God because He loves me and this love will take responsibility for me. And so, one moment. And so he gave to me the love uh, freely. And so some children are going to be like this. Lord, if you love me, then show me by dying for me. And then he'll say, I already died for you. And so to love us, he was willing to give us anything. But the problem is that we doubt that love. And as long as we do not doubt that love, we'll be okay. And so do not choose the darkness that comes from this world and doubting the love of God. Keep looking to the light and keep facing Him. Then you can live this way. And so let's speak of love. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And this reality must be clear to you. That we are light and the world is darkness. And so if you look at first or second Corinthians 6, that the darkness cannot go with the light. That Belial cannot go with Jesus. That idols and God cannot go hand in hand. We cannot be united to the world. We are not even similar in any way. We are not similar. We are completely different. And so it says, do not consider it strange. And Hebrews talks about the life of a sojourner, right? You are a stranger on this earth. And so the world will consider me strange, and I also need to consider the world strange. And so because our roads are different. And so do not be surprised at this reality. Rather, it's a problem if the world loves you. You should actually be hated by the world. If you have the truth, you will be persecuted. And persecution is evidence that you are a child of God. It is proof that God's love is in you. Do you think that you'll have good faith without persecution? 
that whenever the church had the most glory it was when persecution was most severe. Amen? Why do you not say amen? It's truly amen. Costa Rica, you are too secure in your ways. Costa Rica needs persecution. Do you, where do you think is the happiest church in this world? It's the churches in the Middle East. The church in Iran? That, that if they come into the church, they are already martyrs. And they are experiencing so many amazing things. It's the church in the Middle East. And, so, oh, and also in China, right? In China, we've done very secret conferences in China. And China's doors are closing to missions. And lots of miracles happen. And so that in order to attend this conference, they walk three days and three nights. Because they don't want their movements to be tracked. They don't take cars, they don't take buses, they don't take trains, but they walk and they take the bicycles. And just gazing upon them, already I'm filled with such grace. Just touching them, oh, God's love pours out upon them. And so, from the fleshly perspective, they might be living tragedy, but spiritually, they are living in the most glorious environment. That they can feel God closer than their very breath. Do you know where the most tragic churches exist in this world? South of Korea, America. It's the churches in the Western world. These churches that are so obese off of, off of, off of, off of all that they've eaten, the riches that they've eaten, that they cannot feel God. That they, they think God is five million light years away. That when they pray, it takes five million years for that answer to reach them. Because, or no, ten million years. Because five million years to reach God, and then five million years to come back. And so, I'm not talking spiritual things, I'm talking about physical things, logical things, right? Five million years to get there, five million years to come back. Don't think about this complicatedly. And so look. It's obvious that when you receive the love of God, that you would be hated by the world. And so if you are acknowledged by the world around you, you need to be careful. There, you may say this reason. That, that oh, I'm, I'm serving my community and through my community service, many people are being saved. What you need to understand is that more than the reward of having a soul come into heaven, there's more lost suffering that, that your church is not growing in holiness, that your church is getting polluted, and that your the truth is being compromised. If you do not compromise with the truth, even if you don't go outreach to people, uh, people will, God will open salvation automatically. 
I never told my church members to go out and outreach to, to, the, to, to evangelize. There's two reasons for this. First is because the Korean custom of trying to raid, uh, make the church bigger and bigger. And the second reason is because if God's love enters into their hearts, even if I tell them not to reach out, they're going to reach out. Because when you reach out, you are not reaching for your church. You're reaching out to proclaim the gospel. And also, I don't like it when anyone comes to our church. So I tell them, don't bring them to my church. And so that's why I don't tell them to go out, to, out, to go out and evangelize. And yet, amazingly, in our church, people come from all over the world. And that's why our church is called All Nations Church. Where people give up living in America and come to Korea. Someone from South America comes to Korea. All over the world, they are gathered at our church. And so remember, life is led by God. It isn't people who bring life together. But anyways, if you are loved, you will be persecuted. You will be hated by this world. And this is the gospel. This is the truth. If you receive the gospel, the world is not going to rejoice in you. Because from the perspective of the world, those who receive the gospel are the people who are trying to kill or who are going to kill them. And so, of course, they're going to first kill them first. They're going to consider you as their enemy. And so do not enjoy the praise of the world. This cannot be, it, it should not be, the world should not praise you. But this, the reason why we see things like that happening is because after Constantine, uh, Emperor Constantine, the Catholic Church made this, this flow. And what they did try to do, they tried to bring all kinds of religions together under one umbrella. And so they mixed everything. They mixed all these traditions, all these cultures. And so making it seem as if it's better that you are not persecuted. No, if you are holy, you will be persecuted. If you are pure, the, the enemy is going to try to pollute you. He's going to try to corrupt you. And so I believe that uh, revival will come upon Costa Rica. And evidence of that revival is that there will be persecution. And so we expect persecution. And there are people from various nations here. And I pray that revival will come upon your nations as well. And there are some of you who are already being persecuted. And that is a sign of revival. So let's continue. Verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And so throughout 1 John, we can see that we have to interpret every verse by verse from the context of new self, old self. And so if you love the brothers, this is talking about someone who's having fellowship with the Trinity. 
And because they're receiving the love of God, through that love, they can love their brothers. Remember, love is not out of my own strength. That, my, that I do not love my wife out of my strength. I do not love my children out of my strength. No, that is a mistake. Only through the love of God can I love my wife. Only through the love of God can I love my children. Only through the love of God can I love my church members. Because love is something that we must receive from Him. Because love belongs to God. It is not something that we can make. It, it, that love is no longer agape. It could, it's probably just eros. But agape is only received from God. And so those who live by God, they will have this clear, um, clear position. That they acknowledge that they cannot do anything as a human, that they cannot do anything, that I am nothing. And yet, if he gives, then I can do all things. And so Paul says in Philippians, chapter 4, verse 12, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that is your confession and my confession. Amen? And so this kind of person, whether they're rich or poor, whether they have or they do not have, they can do all things because God strengthens them. Amen? It's not difficult. Just live by the Holy Spirit. Just have fellowship with Him. Just receive what He gives. And just keep... I, I sometimes pray to God like this. Lord, if you don't give, I cannot do a thing. The most comfortable lifestyle is if God doesn't give, I don't receive. Then all I have to do is just sit still. You are the servant, yes? The servant shouldn't overstep his boundaries doing something when the master doesn't ask him. If the servant, if the master says to clean the floor, all you have to do is sweep the floor. Why do you try to wash the dishes? Why do you go wash the bathroom when all God asks of you is to wash the floor? Okay, it's because you are not used to being a servant. And every now and then, a servant, if the master's not looking, you slack off, right? That, that's what it means to be a servant. And so, you do not understand what it means to be a servant, do you? <laughs> that's what a servant is. Don't overstep your boundaries. If God says to clean the floor, all you have to do is sweep the floor. Don't, don't out of your passions, clean the bathroom. That is a different servant. If you do that, then that other servant has nothing to do and he gets kicked out. So I hope you understand what I'm trying to say as I'm joking. That in my joke, you understand what I'm trying to say. I'm sorry for talking in such uh, abstract concepts. But really, because I have lived as a servant, this is how I live. That if the master doesn't give me anything, I cannot do a thing. And going beyond that, I never ask the master for anything. Why? Because if he gives, I have to work out. I have to work. And so I don't pray to God, give me money or give me power. Just if you want me to do something, then give. Amen. Amen. Amen.
So please do not be as lazy as I am. And so let's continue. And so if we love the brothers, that means that we are in fellowship. And when we are in fellowship, what that means is that we have been passed out of death into life. And this word passed out uh, includes the uh, preposition meta. Right? And meta is talking about fellowship. Fellowship with God, right? Right? This fellowship with God. And so because we have fellowship with God and we love the brothers, that means we are no longer in death, which means we are no longer living in the old self. And so we need to be able to maintain this state that is always in the new self. But the, our lives, it's a question of every moment by moment, are you choosing the life of death or the life of life? If you choose the flesh, you are choosing sin, and the wages of sin is death. And so flesh is over the reign of death. If you turn on the computer, the moment the computer turns on, a program turns on, right? And when you start typing, you see the result of that typing on the screen. That means that the computer is working properly. It's the same thing with us. If I receive the life of God, then I can respond to God properly. But what does it mean that I'm under the reign of death? That I can no longer respond to God's righteousness. The devil will not lose that opportunity. And in that reign of death, the devil will control you. And that's why I say salvation, you live out your work out your salvation in trembling and fear. You need to have the spiritual sensitivity to reject death at all times. And so as I said earlier, depression. This is clear evidence that you are under the reign, the reign of death. Worry, uh, anxiety, fear. God has never given these things in your life. That when God created us, He did not use these materials when He made us. Even ignorance, a child of God is wise beyond measure. If you look at Psalm 67, that you are wiser than the old men, you are wiser than the devil. And when I was going to school, uh, they, I took an IQ test and my IQ was 89. That means I'm a little smarter than the devil. And this was actually a cause of great despair for me, that, I was, that my IQ was so low. And this, so one time I tried talking to the devil, but uh, they couldn't understand. So I realized that, oh, I'm just a little bit smarter than the devil. But my IQ was 89 while I was going to school. That means that I'm very not intelligent. But no one is going to call me unintelligent. Do I seem unintelligent to you? Right, because God's wisdom comes upon me. Right, the children of God were is built in wisdom. 
And so that's what you need to understand. This is the reign of death. And really, the wisdom of God is, goes beyond all things. In our church, there are doctors, there are, there are lawyers, there are people who are uh, professors of economics. All of these people look to me for answers. And even these business people, there's the business person back there, he asks me how to unfold business. Is it because they're dumb? No. It's because they know that I have God's wisdom. And so even ignorance is under the reign of death. It does not belong to God. And so you are the lamb, yes? And what does Jesus say? That you are the lamb, that he, this is the lamb that you have sent me. And so as lambs, we are to be um, killed by the world. But at the same time, what does that mean? That we are innocent as doves, but, but wise as serpents. And so what are these lambs called? They're called super lambs. Super lambs. I, I, do you understand? Okay, you are Superman. You are Superman, Super Lamb, right? Superman. And so if you truly love, even if people take advantage of you, you will not be afraid. If you love, you will not be afraid to suffer loss. You will not, you will not be afraid to be taken advantage of. You will not be afraid of death. The reason is because when you got taken advantage of, you, there's more greater things waiting for you. God will give you greater things. And so this holy love is the principle of, of us. And God gives us without holding back. And so in this conference, God has given you unlimitedly. And so you don't need to pay me back, but you need to let this riches flow out to someone. So many people think that we, do, we are able to do this conference because we're rich, but that's not the case. In our church, there's a person who, who can't even uh, heat their house in the winter in order that they can provide off, pay offerings. So our church is not serving you out of our riches. We are serving you out of love because of the love of God. And because of that love, we serve you. And when you receive that love, you also need to give that love out. And when you give that love, you need to give it to people who cannot pay you back. And that's the reason why I love going to South America and Africa. Because when I give, they cannot pay me back. These are the people of God. And the people of God are hidden. They're hidden in poverty. They're living for the kingdom of heaven. And they're waiting for the kingdom of heaven. And these are the people of God. And it is my glory to serve these people. 
And so that's why I believe you are men of God. Because you... Oh, wait, sorry, I didn't hear. Uh, but God has hidden you and now he's going to reveal you. It's time for you to be lifted up. And it's time for God's glory to be lifted up by your hands. And in faith, let us rise up. There will be glory in Costa Rica, in Guatemala, in Colombia, in Nicaragua, in all the nations gathered here today. May the glory of God come upon you. So let's continue. So we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so those who do not receive love, they abide in death. They are under the reign of death. And so we need to maintain the state that is receiving, receptive to God's love. That means pros, facing towards Him. That if your entire being puts His Spirit before you, then you will follow after Him. And so why do I say this is easy? Because this is the principle that God designed you with. This is how God created you. And so if you find that this to be difficult, it's not because it in itself is difficult, but rather you're so used to, you're so accustomed to living by the flesh. For example, in America, there's a car company, Ford, yes? And who is going to know the design of Ford the best? Of course, it's going to be Ford, right? And who created, who created man? God did, right? Then God knows how we are designed the best, right? And so, God knows that we are to live by Him. And so this is the most easiest way to live your life. And so you need to understand that you are being deceived by the world. That all living by God is so hard. Living in holiness is so difficult that I have to give up so much things. No, there, it's actually so much more difficult to be lost in the world. There's that, uh, there's, oh, sorry. Living with God is so easy, yes? Truly. Living without God is the most difficult thing. So we need to keep living by God as He pours out this love upon you. Continually pouring out the witness of Jesus Christ. And as Romans 8 says that the Holy Spirit demonstrates His love for us. That the Holy Spirit has put on this headband. And on the headband, what does it say? It says, I love you. And so He's demonstrating, demonstrating, I love you, I love you. Receive my love, receive my love. That's what Romans 8 is describing. Romans 5, 8 is describing. That he continually demonstrates his love for you. So can you not hear? Can you not hear? And that's why... And so what does Romans 5, 8 says? That he's taking buckets full of love and pouring it upon you. How great is this love that he has to pour it over you. I went to Iguazu Falls in Paraguay and there are many waterfalls in Korea but when I compare it to Iguazu the, it seems like a baby taking a piss 
the waterfalls in Korea seems like a baby taking a piss. And so it's not a baby pissing on me, that's not the waterfall, but it's like Iguazu, the waters of Iguazu being poured upon you. It's amazing love. This is how God pours out upon you. He pours that love upon you. And that is what he's doing. He's pouring out these waters upon you. And he's pouring out so much that, that I'm filled with tears right now, but I'm just holding those tears back because if I were to cry, I would not be able to keep preaching. So anyways, so let's go on to verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And so remember, we talked about Cain yesterday. And Cain continually chose evil. If you live by the old self, the strength of the old self continually builds up inside of you, continually stores inside of you, and so it becomes difficult to live by the Holy Spirit. So there's only one way to solve this. Continue, hurry up and stop the old self and turn back to the new self. And we call this metanoia, which is to return, right? To make a U-turn, to return. And so as quick as possible, you need to return to the new self, amen? There's no other way. And so if you keep living in the old self, and you think that God does nothing for you, and you think God doesn't listen to your prayers, and that God doesn't love you. And so it doesn't matter how much you pray, you, you have to first turn back. And so the best way to turn back in that midst of that suffering is to go back to your father. When you lose the father, do you know what happens inside of you? Is that, is that, is that a, a famine comes upon you. Your spirit starts to suffer. And this is the principle to all men, not just believers. And, and just like the prodigal son, he faced suffering. And when you leave God, there's another thing that happens inside of you, is that you lose uh, your identity. You forget the riches you enjoyed while you were under the, uh, your father's roof. You forget who you are. When, when it says that the prodigal son returned to his father, do you know what it says? It says he came to himself. He's coming back to his father, but he's also coming back to himself. And so the greatest suffering in life, what did, Cain, what did God say to Cain? That you need to wander the earth, wander the face of the earth. That is the greatest uh, curse, is to wander the earth without God. That means that you are separated from the purpose of eternal life. Because what is eternal life? Without eternal life, you cannot be, you cannot be happy. And so, if eternal life is before you, nothing can be a problem. But because you have left God's side, because you turned your back to God, that's why you're always uncertain. That's why you're always suffering. And that's why you're always in hardship. And so, do not wander. You need to be in the new self. It's about the new self. Receive his life. And, but Cain failed to do so. 
And so if you hate, you are a murderer. And so the eternal life fundamentally is not based on your actions. And remember, life is about your motivation. And so if you hate, you are a murderer. Because hate is the motivation for murder. And so let's say I am envious of someone's uh, other uh, of another person's possessions, then that can be the motivation for you to kill them so that you can take it. And so please do not treat sin lightly. As much as you fear sin, you will fear the Lord. You may do not ever say that I will never sin this way because sin is not up to me. If it is the result of whether I'm receiving God or not, whether I'm choosing God or not. It's not out of your morals, it's not out of your ethics. This will not determine whether you sin or not. And so the church should not preach ethics. The church should not preach morals. Because this is something that you can learn in the world, it's not the church. In the church you should teach life. The church is about life. It's about teaching eternity. So let's continue. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so this is clear. If I'm in the new self state with God, then life is inside of me. But if I live by the old self, then I am in death. And so it says, you know, right, this is Gnosko. And so if you have fellowship with God, then this truth becomes evident. And this is not that difficult, brothers. Because this is God's desire, this is God's will. And this is how God created you when He designed you. And so just focus on the Holy Spirit a little bit more. And keep opening your spiritual eyes towards Him. Then this Trinity will continually dynamically have fellowship with you. And then, ah, this is the love of the God the Father. Ah, uh, this is the righteousness of Jesus the Son who has made me the same essence as Him. That I am the child of God. Why? And that I am a fellow heir with Him. And that He has given me the same dignity and authority as the Son. And the Holy Spirit is given to me to dwell within me, to witness to these things, to, to raise these things up inside of me. And so whenever I preach, this is what's going on inside of me. It feels as if a tape, a cassette tape is, is, wrote, is circulating inside of me. It, because the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And so there's no one who can speak as quickly as I do, even if they have the words right before them. Okay, do you want to bet? Why do you think this is possible? Because there's a tape playing inside of me. The Holy Spirit is just moving inside of me. 
And so if you live by the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to happen inside of you. This isn't a special privilege for me. What did I say? God created you this way. And so this is the easiest thing to do. Amen? It's actually more difficult to not live this way. Amen? So do not think that this is amazing. This is normal. It's not supernatural, but it's normal. You may think that I'm an amazing being, but really, it's not me, it's God. And because it's He who did it, not me. And so for this reason, you also can do so. Of course, Paul is great. But it's not Paul in himself, but God who has moved Paul. Truly, this is absolute. This is absolute. And as I said, my hope is that you will be, you will grow to greater heights than I ever could have dreamed of. Because even now in the heavenly host, Paul is cheering me on to be better than him. Ask him. <laughs> And this day and age, it's time for all apostles and all prophets to be integrated. It's not because of our greatness, but because we are standing at the cusp of His return. And so He wants to integrate all things to create a generation that can prepare the way for His return. And so, really, when I look at myself, I cannot believe that I have this calling. But what God has done in me, I see, ah, this is real. That John is in me. And that, that, that the spirit that John availed, that that same color is moving inside of me. The same color of Paul, the same color of Jeremiah, of Ezekiel, of Daniel, all of this is being integrated in me. And you are living in the greatest of times. The, the darkest of time in man, of man's history and yet at the same time the time of greatest glory and so it's important for you to reclaim your dignity amen amen and so believe and do not be lazy like me so let's continue so now we have to embody that love if we receive that love that love needs to be manifest verse 16 to 18 by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and so remember the pinnacle of love is laying down your life that in order to receive life you need to give life and so from this perspective it's not about religious actions. It's about giving life to your church members. And Paul says this to all the churches. That I am your teacher, but at the same time I'm your father. And that is the same identity that you need to have to your church. You are their teacher, but at the same time you are their spiritual father. That you are ready to give your life for them. And so remember, you are not pastoring for your ministry, but you are pastoring to die. Okay, the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. 
And this needs to be your philosophy. I don't want to use this word philosophy, but this is the philosophy that you needs to be. You are not being a pastor to survive. If you want to survive, do not be a pastor. If you do not live in the spirit, then one day all of a sudden you'll see that pastoral ministry just simply becomes a source of income. And then you need to deeply repent because this is something that is very scary and hard to come out of. Remember, we are not using, we are not treating pastoral ministry as a career. But if you don't live by the Spirit, your pastoral ministry will go into this methodology. You need to lift up the worship, you need to be committed to prayer. And so remember, it's not about technique, it's not about methodology, no. Every day you need to be renewed. Every day you need to receive something new. And every day, your church members need to see that and acknowledge that, especially your wife and your children. And honestly, you can deceive me at any time because I do not live with you. Right, let's say that you perform a miracle, then of course I'm going to believe you. Let's say that you preach very eloquently, then many people are going to follow after you. But your lifestyle is seen by your wife and your children. And so they, you cannot deceive them. And so they are the ones who, who most of all need to acknowledge you. And so for 32 years, my wife has acknowledged me in my sermons. Even now, she's being blessed by my sermons. Because she sees my life. And because she sees my life, she sees that I'm being renewed and that I'm always growing. And so above all else, your family needs to acknowledge you. And so really, pastors, you are very important. You are the hope of the world. Yeah, I'm not believing in you. But okay, okay. Uh, sorry, one moment. One moment. Uh, and so really, pastors are so important. And so even if I were to be born again, I would be a pastor again. I don't believe in reincarnation, but... But if, it's just an expression, if I were to be born again, I would choose to be a pastor again. Back in the day, I didn't want to be a pastor, but now I want to be a pastor. And so I bless you now. I bless you now as pastors. And look at these saints. They are, they are doing a very beautiful service, right? And so, avail them, use them, wave your wand, okay? But really, it's beautiful, their service, isn't it? Anyways, let's continue. And so, by this, we know love. That as he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We experience that love. And so, let's say you don't feel that love at all then you need to first deal with this before you do anything else. For the most part, it's because you are, have emotional wounds regarding your father, that's why you're unable to feel the love. And so if you look at it from the perspective of the doctrine of God, 
Love is really important. It goes hand in hand with doctrine of God. Because Jesus calls God Abba Father. And the Holy Spirit calls Abba Father. Only, or okay, only God is Abba Father. But to some people, uh, so it, it needs to be Elohim Yahweh. And so if you have hurts towards your father, if you are scarred by your father, then you can receive God as Elohim, God of power. But you cannot receive Yahweh God. Yahweh is the God that created men. Rather, more accurately, He begotten men. Right, look at, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, it starts the, uh, it starts the description of how man was created. And it's here where the word Yahweh is used for God instead of Elohim. And so when Moses went to Egypt, he didn't know the name of God, right? And so he asked God, what's your name? Right? How dare he, how dare he, a creation, ask God, what's your name? But, okay, so you need to have guts in order for God to use you. Okay, and those who know the presence of God understand how much guts it takes to say this to God. But look at how amazing our God is. That in, in Mount Sinai, when God comes to meet with Moses, the, the Israelites would not come close to the mountain because of how terrifying, how terrible that presence was. But in Leviticus, where does that God come? He comes in the midst of the camp. And so Israel probably could not even take a piss for three years while, while God was in the midst of their camp. Because that terrifying presence is in the midst of them, they would not dare to even go to the restroom. Imagine this situation. But now where is that God? That Shekinah, young, Shekinah glory dwells within you. He is inside of you. And yet you do not revere that God, do you? Right? That's terrible. If you look at Isaiah, his spirit is the spirit of reverence. And so the first evidence of him being in you is this reverence. How important is reverence? In, in, Psalms, in Psalms 26, uh, in, in, in 2514, Psalm 2514, okay, God's um, reverence, reverence for God is intimacy with God. And so if you are not intimate with God, you will not, the reason why you are not intimate with God is because you are not revering God. If you look at uh, Proverbs 24, it says that the reward, the reward of the fear of the Lord is honor, fame, and riches. This is all connected to reverence. That, that the fear of the Lord is the source of all wisdom. And so wisdom is connected to reverence. And so if I want to talk about this, I have to talk all day long. And so reverence is the essence of the presence of God. And reverence is going to allow, lead you into worship. And so in your worship, you always need to have reverence. Amen? And so is reverence filling up your heart? 
And so, do not enjoy worship. Worship is devotion. Because the very first word offering is the offering, a burnt offering. And it says to worship in spirit and in truth. And in this word, spirit and truth, is the five uh, sacrificial systems of the Old Testament. There's burnt offering. There's the peace offering being. Uh, there is the um, the the, the uh, sin offering, which is talking about true repentance. And then there's the devote. And then there's the devotion offering. And then there's the wave offering, right? The wave offering, which is uh, the drink offering, which is which is the pouring out of God's blessing. And so your life will be the victory of life will be determined by worship. If you are worship, if you are victorious in worship, you'll be victorious in life. Those who cannot meet with those who fail to meet with God in worship will not be victorious in life. And so that's why we give our lives for the worship, and we worship in spirit and in truth. And then these five offering systems move inside of me. And so first, the burnt offering, because I'm devoted to God, I, I revere God, I fear God. This burnt offering is lifted up. And so reverence needs to rise up from within you. Amen. So what verse are we on? And because we this we know this love, we can lay down our lives for our brothers. So martyrdom isn't some high-level thing. Oh, wait, no, sorry. It is the high-level thing, but if you look at it from the perspective of fellowship with the church, if you love your brother, you cannot die for any one of them. And look at the early church in reality. The principle for their life was martyrdom. And really, as I say this, as I declare this, I, I, I'm afraid. But this is the principle, and so I, I proclaim it. Because we receive the love of God, it's so obvious that we, sh we should be able to die for our brothers. If you look at the records of the early church, that there is not a single record of a brother betraying a brother in the church. This is the greatness of the early church. Really, we need to be a church that can die for the brothers. And even in our worship, many times we make this confession. I say to the brother next to you, I can die for you. And 95% are truly making that confession. But every worship is a little bit different. Every now and then, God will let me know which percentage is true. Uh, today, 94%. Several years ago, it was only like 60%. And then, uh, even further back, God told me they're all lying. <laughs> but really, our community has grown in the number of brothers that can die for one another.
This is the, what it means to be the church. This is the image of the glorious church. So verse 17. Let's see how that love manifests. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. So if you can give your life, why would you hold back the riches of the world, the goods of the world? And so we need to understand what the church was like during this time. Okay, this was during the time of the persecution of Emperor Domitian. He is the, it's the second persecution after Nero. It's after. He doesn't know the Bible, he doesn't know history. <laughs> and so let's look at the historical background. And so it's time that they did not know where their next meal would come from. Because at any time they could be taken away and, and put to death. And so it's not easy to give up your next meal. And yet this is so obvious that they should do so. That instead of me eating first, but providing for others first. Why is this world so wicked these days? Because they are so self-centered. That they think about what they want first. Look at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. How did this miracle happen? It came out of poverty. Right, but the Lord prays over the five loaves and two fish, and He blesses it. And what happens? Did all of a sudden these bread multiply like popcorn? No. No, He just told them to sit by 50, by 10, by 5. And then He gives one team this bread. And then so instead, even though they're hungry, they give it, they pass it on. And as they pass it on, it multiplies. And they wanted to eat, but instead of eating, they pass it on. And each time they pass it on, it multiplies. It multiplies whenever they give up on themselves. And so brothers, give. The poorer you are, the more you should give then God will continually multiply your giving. And so this poverty isn't a simple being poor. But, be, but because of God's love, they're willing to give up. And so right now we are entering into the time of famine. And really, this famine is causing a lot of hardship re in reality in South America. Right? I saw the news of what's going on in Argentina. Right? Inflation is going up 70%. 
I mean, in Korea, only 8% and, and people are going crazy. I cannot imagine 70%. And so I, they're having a very hard time. That Argentina is having such a hard time that they no longer eat meat. Instead of beef, they're only eating pork and chicken. Okay. To Argentina, uh, the beef is like kimchi to Koreans. The fact that they're giving up this beef, that, that's talking about how hard it is. And so next time I go to Argentina, I'm going to provide asador for you guys. Asador. With the, let's, let's buy the best beef. <laughs> Verse 18. Okay, um, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so if you do not give when you have goods, then that means you are just loving in words. But love does not do so. Love works out in holy ways. Continually sacrifice, continually giving out. And so remember, the principle for my lifestyle is to not possess things. And whenever we uh, close the finances throughout the year, we're always in the minus. Because if we don't send out, someone is starving. And so we keep sending out, we keep giving away. Okay, we can enjoy, but we do not possess. We enjoy things, but we don't possess. When I possess things, someone is going hungry. When I possess, someone is starving. And so possessing in itself is wickedness. And so we need to know how to be ashamed of our possessions. And so I do not possess anything. I continually empty. I continually stretch out holy hands and give out, give out, continually sacrifice. And that one, one image of growth, spiritual, spiritual growth is what? Is emptying yourself. Is that you should not be burdened by many possessions. Why does your spirit get heavy? Because you possess too many things. You find yourself to be spiritually obese. You need to be able to respond in the moment to the Holy Spirit. But if you are heavy spiritually, then you cannot respond. So where's Pastor Francisco? If you look at Pastor Francisco, his stomach has come out a lot, right? And so how heavy must he feel? And so don't possess. I love Pastor Francisco. He has been walking well with me and, and he is a great fellow worker. And he has done a very good job in preparing this conference. So anyways, so if let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
And this word deed is different from the word deed that we saw earlier. This word in Greek is ergon, which means action. And so if you receive the righteousness of God, there will be an action of righteousness. And then truth. That this truth will be revealed in your life. This is the principle of things. If you have the truth, the truth will be revealed. If it's not revealed, then that is, then you did not truly receive it. And so if you look at your life and from this perspective, that your, your life is the vessel for God's love to be made manifest. And so, Lord, manifest your word through my life. And Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ. And so, you know, we are an aroma of Christ to the brothers. And we, so there's aroma of life and aroma of death because his glory is being made manifest through me. And so Paul says that I submit my body and, and, and discipline my body to, to submit to the obedience of the word of God. Anyways, and so now from verse 19 to verse 20, talks about the result of that love. What conclusion does, uh, comes from that love? So the first thing is that we experience the truth. Verse 19, by this, so he's been continuing speaking of love and now he's concluding that love, showing the result of that love. By this we know, uh, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. So you are experiencing that you abide in the truth. So what is John trying to say through this? Right, as Apostle John has been continually saying, emphasizing throughout First John. And yet this is the first time he says this directly in First John. But if you continually are characterized by the word of God, is I speak out of the word of God within me speaking. Is, or I speak and so the word follows. Uh, that there is no difference because I'm so characterized by the word. And so the word comes out like a storm inside of me. And sometimes the word comes out and so I speak. Other times I proclaim in faith and so the word comes out. Sometimes the Holy Spirit moves and so I follow him. Other times my will proclaims and so the Holy Spirit follows. That, 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 the, that the difference of this, this time, the time difference gets smaller and smaller. What does that mean? That means you are being characterized by the word. And so if you become a part of the truth, if you abide in the truth, then the whole, if the Holy Spirit takes position of you, then this is what happens in your life. It's the same thing with life. And so either the Holy Spirit moves and so you speak, or because I speak, the Holy Spirit follows. This is Holy Spirit ministry. Especially when it comes to deliverance, that when the uh, devil is revealed, you need to catch it right at that moment. And so, or else, if or else he's going to try to hide. And so you need to be responsive. You need to uh, be very reflexive and move. And so either the Holy Spirit moves first, or I move first. But but either way, because I'm so characterized by the Holy Spirit, it's one and the same. 
prophecy is the same thing with prophecy. The anointing may come, and so I may be able to prophesy. But also, uh, in faith, I just proclaim, and so the anointing follows after. What does it say in Romans 12? Romans says that those who prophesy, prophesy according to their faith. And 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gift of prophecy. But Romans 12 says that uh, prophecy is according to your faith. It's a little bit different. The perspective is different. Okay, second, or First Corinthians is talking about the gift of prophecy, but Romans is talking about the prophecy out of the prophetic anointing, not the spiritual gift. As the representative, as the spokesman of the kingdom of heaven, you are speaking. And so when you speak, you move the kingdom of heaven. And so the prophecy described in Romans 12 is of greater scale than the prophecy spoken of in Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12. And so I bless you that you will be filled with the prophetic anointing. And yet at the same time that you will be filled with faith. Amen. They are different. So this is the state that he's talking about here. That, that either you follow after the word or you proclaim and the word follows. That, that, it would, that there's no difference. But what is clear is that we need to continue to experience the word of God. And so we need to continue to experience the confidence in his promise. As it says in 2 Peter 1, the divinity, divine nature and the great promise that this is all the word of God and this thing gives me the divine nature and so let us grow in the divine nature amen let's continue and so second thing enter into the Sabbath rest and reassures our heart before him and so this heart, again, is your entire mindset, the intellect, the emotion, and the will. And this is actually one of the most difficult concepts in the Bible. That sometimes when he's speaking of heart, he's speaking of our spirit. All the times he's talking about our entire mindset. But either way, this is all cardia, the heart. And so we need to be able to see what it is in the context of that word. But, but this isn't what's important. What's important is that the Holy Spirit is working in my spirit. Or is he working with the functions of my spirit? This is a little different. But anyways, this is all connected to repentance. And so when you repent, what's going to happen is that if you reject the Holy Spirit as you live, you are being bound. And what is being bound? The functions of your spirit, which is the intellect, emotion, and will are being bound. If we are not bound, we live by that intellect itself. Not because we learn, but that intellect is inside of me itself. I do not learn how to preach. God gave me the word 30 years ago. Right When God created Adam and the world, he, he brought all the animals before Adam. And Adam gives them names. 
Adam didn't learn. He looked at the elephant and he said elephant. How amazing is that? What if Adam called it a pig? How we would be confused. And even though he named thousands upon thousands of animals, he never confuses them. He is wisdom itself. He is emotion itself. He does not try to receive the love of God. And so if your emotion is bound, you will not have authority in your words, in your declaration. And so your emotion should not be bound. Your will is not bound. That you have no will to uh, go against God. That your free will is completely submissive to God. And so this word heart in certain perspectives is really important. And so through repentance, your intellect, emotion, and will is, is loosened. And all the hurts and wounds that are recorded in your mindset, the false truths, the uh, useless information of the world, all of these things are being cleansed by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this person, what does, how is he described in 1 Timothy 1.5? That he has a pure heart. And at the same time, he has a good conscience, and he also has a sincere faith. And so these three channels are open so wide, and so he, and so the love of God is poured out upon him infinitely. So that's why we need to continually repent, continually repent, look back at your life, and all of these things are being made manifest, and they will continually surface and surface. And so you come to a point where you do not limit the things that God gives. And so the anointing is poured out upon you. The love of God is being poured out upon you. The authority of God is being poured out upon you. So we need to be clean. Amen. And so uh, he reassures us our hearts before him. And again, before him, this is pros. So who is this him? God the Father, right? God the Father. Because it is pros, it is to God the Father. And so he reassures our heart. That means we are not shaken before him. And so it becomes easier to stand before him because we are no sh not shaken. We are not shaken. No matter the circumstances that I can open my eyes to look at him, there are no, there's no blockage. And so you are able to have this fellowship with God no matter the circumstances. Like Daniel, even though you enter into the den of lions, you are not shaken. Even though uh, the king says to not pray, he opens the gates, he opens the windows and faces Jerusalem and prays in the sight of all people. What is he saying? He's saying, all you bastards, look! Look that I'm praying to God! And so uh, this vision towards God is never shaken. There's a proverb in Korea uh, that says that the person who has no fear towards the world, um, that he has no, um, uh, no uh, obstacle in his eye, that nothing gets caught in his eye. Nothing gets caught in his eye. Nothing gets caught in his eye. 
Okay, if you look at the sun, you will not be able to see anything else. And because you're looking at God, you, you do not see the world. Nothing comes into your eye. And so let's fix our eyes upon God. When Goliath appeared, Israel, what did they do? They trembled in fear. We are grasshoppers before him. And yet David, he sees Goliath. Goliath is three meters tall. David is only one meter six, 1.6 meters. And he looks at him. What does David say? You are my food. Who is looking, who is seeing the truth? Is it Israel or is it David? It's because David is looking at God, he sees this. And when you look at God, this is how you will see that the world will be insignificant to you. Amen? Because I fix my eyes to God, no matter how beautiful a girl may be, no one is more beautiful than my wife because I'm looking at God. God is my witness. Because I fix my eyes upon God, there's nothing gets caught in my eye. It's the same, I believe it's the same to you. Pastors, if your eyes continually wander to beautiful women, that's dangerous. Hallelujah. And so he enters into the Sabbath rest. That, that his face, his direction towards God is, at, is in the Sabbath rest level. And so uh, as we saw earlier in chapter 2, that he has no desires of the eyes. So he, and so verse 21, 20 and 21, just continually talking about the result of love. So look, verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, so let's say we sin, or we have something that condemns us. We struggle, right? We, we have a hard time. This is not talking about unbelievers, but believers. Right, let's say uh, someone who is a little bit holy, uh, his conscience will accuse him. But someone a little bit more holy will be convicted by the Holy Spirit. He comes to realize that the Holy Spirit is convicting him. And that's what it means that, that, you are, that your heart is condemned. And we can look at this condemn, condemnation from two perspectives. One is the accusation of the devil. Right? The devil is trying to accuse you of sin. This is something that we can deny and this is something that does not apply to us. When we sin, are we accused or not? Are we condemned or not? There is, we are not condemned. Truly, you are not condemned because you are righteous. And this is actually the reason, what, this is what keeps you from praying because you, you are deceived into thinking that you stand condemned. And so be free, be free. Do not believe that, that, that the accusation of the devil holds any weight. Romans 2.15 talks about your conscious. Conscious is simply a function of our spirit. 
the, the, the law that is recorded in our spirit. And so when man sins, our conscious accuses and sometimes defends us that you are a sinner, but at the same time, here in the conscious, you are not. Or, and then maybe we'll do this and say, you have this, you did this, and no, I didn't do that. So your conscious will accuse and sometimes also defend. Right, and so if you are feeling condemned, then this is what's going on inside of you. And so you are being deceived. Okay, when I was in America, I told you I used to drive around a Porsche 911 Carrera. It was when I was 18 years old, right? And at that time, I was not as fat as I am now. I had a really nice body at that time. And so I, I, I opened the top. And at that time, the song that I loved was Bonnie Taylor's I Need a Hero. Oh, I, still, I remember that song. <laughs> but anyways, I had 32 speakers in my car. And if I turn on the music, the entire neighborhood would shake. And so I was standing at the red light with the song on and with, with my top off and putting on the sunglasses. And all of a sudden, a car pulled up next to me. It was a Corvette. That's a powerful car, right? But, but as I looked at him, it was a young guy, another young guy. And we looked at each other eye, in our eyes. Like, hey, let's test it out, let's race. And then, so we waited for the red light to turn green. And the moment it turned green, I launched off the line. My car launches off the line, but his car just simply burns out. And he wasn't able to launch off the line. And so I said goodbye. It's the same thing. It's like the, this is the same principle. If you stand condemned, if you are under that accusation, you have the power, and so that power rotates the wheel, but there's no strength, it does, there's no traction, and so you cannot move forward. Okay, so my earlier story is not what's important. I told you that story to paint this picture. This is what's important, okay? And how dangerous is this? And so condemnation itself, what does it mean? It means that you're standing trial even though God is not bringing you to trial. Remember, we have the lawyer who spilled his blood for us. And by the power of that blood, sin no longer has any hold over us. Amen? And so no matter what state you may be, there is no ground for the devil to bring you to trial. All you have to do is proclaim the power of the blood. That do you not see this blood within me? Do you not see this royal blood? But this condemnation that is described here in today's text, this is the word kataginosko. This is a good type of condemnation where, where you see that something is going against God inside of you. 
that if there's even a little obstacle inside of you, that your heart is burdened. And so you might find it to be difficult to discern this. Are you suffering because of the devil accusing you, or are you suffering because the Holy Spirit is convicting you? But honestly, this is not actually difficult to discern. The devil is always trying to accuse you regarding sins that you act out. For example, you lied, didn't you lie? Or you killed that person, or you murdered that person, or you cursed that person. With these kinds of actions, he continually accuses you. Salute! And so regarding these things, it's easy to repent, right? And so it ends after you repent. And so if those things are, is the devil. But when the Holy Spirit condemns you, the conviction of the Holy Spirit isn't regarding these kinds of actions, but rather what displeases the Holy Spirit. That, oh, I should have given up even more than I did. I should have been more obedient than I did. These are the kinds of things that you trip over. That's what this condemnation is talking about here. And so for whenever our heart condemns us, my heart knows this. And yet the more important thing is that God is greater than our heart. And so when it says greater, it's not talking about size, but it's talking about scale. It's talking about dimension. Okay. God transcends three dimensions. So he know, my heart knows my state. But the Holy Spirit dwells within me and he connects me to God who transcends this universe and so that God knows me as well. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2.10 that the Holy Spirit knows everything about me and knows the things of God. And, and He meets with me as He knows me. And that means He provides every way to fix the things that, 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 that go against God. If I need love, He pours out love. If I need to repent, then through repentance I use the power of the blood of Christ or the power of God, the power of the anointing. And as it says in Romans 8, or Romans 8, right, that the Holy Spirit uh, utters prayers that are too deep for groans, that are too deep for words, right? And so really, prayer is easy because I'm not the one who prays, but the Holy Spirit prays within me. And so there are many of you who find it difficult to confirm righteousness. It's because you've lived in the flesh. And so for them, they, they need a bit of time to confirm their righteousness in the midst of prayer. But let's say that you confirmed righteousness, but you're unable to pray. That means that there's spiritual warfare going on. That the devil is blocking your prayer. But this is even less of a problem. Just breakthrough. For the most part, I just order angels, heavenly hosts, open the gates of heaven. 
Even uh, Jesus, when he prayed, that's how he co commanded angels. Right? And so when God, when Jesus, who is the Son of God, prays, angels helps. How much more with us who also have that sonship would angels help us in our prayer? Amen? And so praying, when you have righteousness, makes it simple. If you don't have righteousness, then first confirm that righteousness. And if you don't have that righteousness and yet prayer is still difficult, then you need to understand the spiritual warfare. And so breakthrough. But all of this, you don't need to be aware of it. The Holy Spirit will lead you. Okay, uh, your president of Costa Rica has a, has a house, right? And someone entered the door. And as he w was walking through the door, uh, the, the security detail came out and led me. Who is this person? This person is the son of the president. It's the same thing for you. Because you are the son of God and you have this righteousness confirmed inside of you, the gates of heaven open up. And who comes to greet you? The Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit leads you to the presence of God. It's really simple. Prayer is simple. Amen? Verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, and so if so, if there's no obstacle in our hearts, then the Holy Spirit and we ourselves acknowledge that there is no obstacle. Then we will uh, be confident. We have confidence before God. Again, this before is pros. So what is this state? This is a state that is drawing near before the presence of God, before the grace of God. And so we have confidence. Confidence means that we are free to say whatever we want. That we are free to say whatever we want. That's confidence. And confidence must be connected to faith. That in faith we can say anything. And this is this is game over, right? If you can say anything, if you can ask for anything before the Creator God, then what more could you desire? And this is the joy of prayer. Amen. I bless you that you would draw near to that you would have confidence before God. And then so now continuing, John describes the Sabbath rest of prayer. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. And again, this is pointing out the picture of the dynamic of the Trinity. As it says in John 15, 3, that I abide in Him and He abides in me. That because the Word is inside of me and I'm in His presence, this promise can lead me to God. And before God, it's always yes. And so prayer from the perspective of God is you come before God holding on to His promise and the Holy Spirit confirms that promise and when you lift that promise up to God, God confirms that promise to me and that promise becomes mine. And so it means that the Word is moving through me. Jeremiah 33, 31 says, What is the new covenant? That, in my, that I will write my words in your heart, in your mind. Is there a problem for the word to be in your spirit? There's no problem here. Because this is the system of the word itself. That the moment you were born again, the word entered into your spirit. Right? It entered into your spirit. This is automatic. 
but it's the same thing. It is also recorded in your mind. Now, this is where the problem happens. Because you have all this false information. You have all the information of the world recorded in your mind. And so it gets mixed with the Word of God. And so when you're in the new self state and someone hates you, the word that says love your enemy moves. But when you're in the old self, you hate. That I need money to be happy. These false truths and the information of the world starts to take effect in your life. And so you get confused because you're going back and forth. And so as you repent, repent. You need to wash your mind of all these pollution, of all this trash. And so what is the highest state of the new, new covenant? Is that the word is in my spirit and the word in my mind are moving, to, moving me. Both these things are moving me. And, and in order for this state to characterize me, I'm repenting. And of course, again, this is not by my technique. God will do this in me. He gave us the new covenant. And how amazing is that? And so inside of me, the word is recorded in two spaces, two places. And again, this is according to the same principle of the, of the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, what is inside, what is inside the Holy of Holies? It's the word of God, right? What's in the Holy of Holies? There is the candle on the left, in the middle is the bread of the presence, and on the right is, is the incense, the censer of incense, right? What does this represent? It all represents the Word. And so even in uh, the tabernacle, we can see that it's the Word that is recorded inside. It's the same thing in me. The Word in my mind, the Word in my spirit. Because you are the tabernacle of God. And so the Shekinah glory of God, right? That His glory is in the tabernacle. And in the same way, because you are God's tabernacle, His glory dwells within you. When you look at Revelation 7, when this temple is made perfect, right, your tabernacle is continually growing and growing until these functions are made perfect. And this glory is continually growing in you. God created man and created the tabernacle according to the same principles. And so if I want to preach about the tabernacle, I have to spend another week with you. And so let's just end the tabernacle here. But how amazing is that? That when God created man, he created man according to the same principle that he commanded Moses to make the tabernacle. Amen? And so the high priest, that when he enters into the Holy of Holies, or no, when he enters into the holy place, as he changes the bread of the presence each day, what is he saying? He's seeing the word being renewed every day. And so what does he feel inside? That ah, I'm living by the word that dwells within the Holy of Holies. And so there's no need to touch the word that's in, the, in your spirit, right? Because it is perfect. But you need to wrestle with the word that is in your mind. You need to remove all the pollution and the filth that has been stored up in the holy place. 
in, in the west, left side, there's the candle where the anointing is continually being poured out. And then on the in middle is the censer where, where, where the, where the, where the uh, incense rises up. The prayer continually rises up. The prayer continually rises up. And as you see the smoke rising, you see, ah, God is receiving my prayer. And then in the bread of the presence, you see that as you renew that bread of the presence, that God's word is being renewed inside of me. And so that perfects and completes the tabernacle. And so, when, and so the tabernacle is being made perfect in you, being made whole in you. And so let's continue. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is really simple, right? This is a simple word. This is because I have fellowship with the Trinity God. The word is inside of me and I can be obedient to that word. And because I, because I keep, I'm obedient, I can please God. Remember, this isn't the result of my actions, but rather it's the result of my fellowship with God. It's about your being. And so this is easy to understand, yes? You understand what this word is clearly saying now. And so, and so without knowing the Trinity, without knowing indwelling, then you cannot understand what this is saying. It seems as if this word is saying that oh, you need to make your every effort. It's out of your effort, out of your works, but that's not the case. And so all of a sudden, no longer is faith out of, your, out of grace, but out of your works. What is grace? Grace means gift. It's a gift. Everything of Christianity is a gift. A.W. Tozer said this, that Christian lives life only able to unpack 10% of the gift before they die. And Pastor Mino Kim in Korea says this, that I die without even using 1%. That's how amazing God's gifts are. Because Christianity is a gift itself. Everything is a gift. Everything is a gift. He gives everything for free. All I have to do is look up at the bronze serpent. Just look up. All I have to do is look up. Just lift up my head. That's all I have to do. And so if you have a disc that cannot do that, then God will heal you. So we're almost finished. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. And this word commandment is a little bit different than what we saw earlier about the word. The Greek word here is entole, which is speaking of God's will. This, his integrated will of God, the complete will of God. That ah, God wants to do this, that God's will is here. And so that means that it must be done. That's why he's called commandment. And what is this commandment? Is that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you believe in the name, what does the name represent? The re name represents His entire being. When I say Pastor Mino Kim, that's my name, right? My name is Mino Kim. 
And with that name, they're, they're receiving my entire being, those who know me. That, oh, he's good-looking man. He's very smart. All my children even know that in my name that they can receive everything for free. Right, there are restaurants that, that our church members have. And if my children come with my name, they get everything for free. Right, they get coffee for free. Right, my father wants coffee, and so they get it for free. Right, they keep using my name for these kinds of things. And then, so if I ask, what is this? They say, your kids asked for it. Why do you pray? Because of his name. And so let's say I go to the Bank of Costa Rica and ask for a billion, a billion dollars. I bring a check for a billion dollars. And when he looks at the check, who's the signature? The signature is Sergio. Then what is that bank going to do? They're going to call the cops. Right, and they're probably going to take me to the jail. But let's say on the check, the signature is the richest man in, Korea, in Costa Rica. Will they not give me the money or not? They will, right? And so whose name signed your check? It's Jesus Christ. This is what it means to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And we have the glory of his name. And let us you avail this name. It is foolishness to not use his name. What does it mean to use his name? It doesn't simply mean I pray in the name of Jesus. No. It's trusting in him, having confidence in who he is. Having confidence in the price he paid. And that's why you believe that the world belongs to me. Because he has won the victory. And so there's no limit to what you can ask. There's no limit to what he's willing to give. This is the essence of faith. Why? Because who am I? And who is God? If I know who he is and I know who I am, then there's no limit. There's no limit. If you think that, how can I ask for this? Or will God give? Then, th then that's limited. What's important here? Is, is it God's will or not? That's everything to me. It's not about whether it can, is possible or not. It doesn't even matter if you have to do or not. It's about His will. And His will, if His will is there, He can do all things. So what is the confidence of a man of God? That I can ask whatever it is in His name. I bless you that you will be filled with this confidence. What is faith? Faith is confidence. The confidence to live in the Holy Spirit. That no matter who comes, it doesn't matter. No matter what devil may try to challenge me, it doesn't matter. No matter what, there's no challenge, it doesn't matter. This is the confidence you have in living in the Holy Spirit. And so in His name, I can seek all things. And you need to have this confidence, brothers. Yeah. 
It's not out of my merit, but the merit of what the sacrifice scheme we made. He already paid the price. And so no one can deny me my use of these things. The devil may say this. Is that by what right do you use this? What are you talking about? Jesus paid the price. And what is this? This is atonement. That uh, rede redemption. This is redemption, not atonement. Redemption. Right? Redemption. That he paid the price to set me free. What is redemption? Redemption is the Hebrew word gar. You haven't been just set free, but with you, you've been set free into an inheritance. You were a beggar. Even just being set free, you would be grateful, right? But no, you are a prince. So you're going to faint out of joy. And so God's salvation is, is joy itself. Because you are not living the joy of being fed a good meal. You are living by the joy of being a made prince. Restore this joy. Right? Redemption moves together with gar, which means inheritance. It is redemption. You need to understand how great of a being you have become. It's because of the deception of the world that you lose sight of your dignity. Let's continue. And so believe in his name and love one another just as he has commanded us. And so the glory of that name is given to us because of his love for us. That love confirms the glory of his name. And so those who receive that love will love the brothers. Because of how good this is, that I do not want to hold on to it for myself. I want to share. I want to share. Amen? If you cannot give, that means you do not know that love. Okay, I'm going all over the world with this gospel. The reason for that is because the glory of this church is so great that I do not want to hold it on to myself. And so whenever I go somewhere, I first make sure that the glory of the gospel is moving. If I have a conference in Costa Rica, then am I seeing that the glory is moving? The glory of the word is moving. I'm confirming that. Because I cannot go myself. I need the glory of the word to move first. And so I, ha I have great expectations. And I, and, and, and I wait in, in, in eager anticipation to see this truth be planted. And that's why when I see your faces, I'm filled with joy. Amen? But there's still some of you who are not smiling. You should laugh and smile on this last day. Okay, please smile. Okay, let's continue. Verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. 
This is easy now, yes? This is the state of having the dynamic of the fellowship of Trinity. That I am in God and God's word is in me. And the Holy Spirit also dwells in me. And through that Holy Spirit, we are in Him. And so this is again the dynamic of the Trinity. Amen? And so now let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4, there are many important words. Oh no. We're going to gather again at 2.30. And so enjoy your lunch. And we'll have a two hours session in, chapter, in the afternoon. And finish chapter 4 and then finally go to chapter 5 tonight. And then we'll proclaim the victory. And then we'll eat and enjoy the best pizza of Costa Rica. Okay, so let's continue. And so through 1 John, what do we see? Where do we belong? We be, what the question is, do you belong to the true church? This is absolute. And so the church that you establish needs to be the church of God. The true church. Even though your sign may say church of God, if God doesn't acknowledge, then it is not the church of God. And so you must make sure that the church you serve is the church of God. If so, then God will reign over that church. And only then will God lift up that church to His level. The church must not be by the plans of man. The tabernacle is not according to the will of the priest. It must move according to the official positions of, of, the, of God. It's the same thing to the church. You are the church of God. And so God must reign. It is God's temple. And so you should continually meditate upon this. And so let us know the church very well, in and out of church. So let's look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is about where do you belong? Verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit. And so what does this mean? This means that apart from the Holy Spirit, even every demon is a spirit. And so it wasn't just Gnosticism at the time. But there are many kinds of various philosophies. Starting from BC to the second century BC to about the first century AD. It was a time of, uh, of shopping mall of, of spiritual philosophies. And so it was really complicated. It was chaotic with all kinds of different philosophies. But what is important here is that even now, sorry, I didn't hear. Oh, 
What's important is that at the time, they didn't have the canon like we do, 66 books Bible. There was more than 66 books. And so the early church needed to be able to discern which one is truth and which one is not. And so, uh, it's during the council in Ephesus that they decided which, which was canon. But up until that point, imagine how much the devil would have caused obstruction. And so, of course, God's hand was behind this formation of the canon of the Bible. But ultimately, this was determined by the, by the victors, right? These, this canon was determined by the scholars who had influence over Constantine. And so a lot of the text that had Jewish color uh, was, was, was passed over. For example, the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch is actually part of the canon of the Coptic Church. And so in order to truly have the truth of the early church, we need to even look at some of these apocryphal texts. For example, the book of Jude, without the book of e Enoch, you cannot interpret it properly. Okay, that many of the eschatology is hard to understand without the book of Enoch. And so Zoe Ministry is trying to restore this truth. And so for the past 20 years, we have been continually uh, doing this, restoring the truth. And so we've poured much money sending scholars to the world to get doctorates. Not to prove the, the theology, but to say that theology is incorrect. To say that Roman Catholics, you are heresy. That we want to once again hammer the 95 theses to the walls of the Vatican. That Pope, repent. Pope, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so it was really uh, complicated to determine what is truth and not at that time. And yet, gratefully, our apostles knew clearly which ones was truth and which one wasn't. How grateful are we? God makes sure that His work is done. And really, the world was shocked when the text at the Qumran, uh, at Qumran was found because it showed that the Bible has come just as it was up to this point. Up to this point, the oldest text we had was the Codex from the 8th century. But the text found in Qumran was dated to the 2nd century BC. And for the most part, uh, the text from Qumran and the Codex from the 8th century was practically the same. 
And when was this, uh, when was the Dead Sea Scrolls found? It was when Israel was reborn on this earth. How amazing is this? And so uh, the Jews purchased the Qumran scrolls, or the Dead Sea Scrolls. And how amazing is that? There are several Jews here, Jew people of Jewish heritage here. And your people are great. Right? The fact that you have kept the word of God all this time, it is great. And so when, when Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, this is the context that's, that's going on. Because the early church, in the face of all these different texts, were saying, this is the word of God. And so they already knew which ones were true and which ones were false. Because Jews, through the Old Testament, already had the word of God inside of them. And so the moment Jesus came, they confirmed the word and saying, ah, that the prophecies of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so that's why the churches all over the world began through the Jews first. Even in the church in India began by the Apostle Thomas. And so that's why the church needs to be one with Jews once again. That is the one new man described in Ephesians. The two witnesses of Israel will be one with the two witnesses of the Gentiles. That's why Zohar Ministry always goes to Israel for conference, to be one with them. Amen? And so the church needs to flow together with the Jews. Constantine broke this down, separated Jews and Gentiles. But we need to be one once again. It is the one new man in Jesus. The one new man. Amen? Amen. And so with this one verse, there's this complicated background. And so I've been studying the early church for 24 years. The important thing right now is that that glorious church is going to be manifest once again. Through people like me. This is really the joke of God. That he's using someone like me to restore this truth. I cannot... I, 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 oh, sorry, one moment. Yeah, I cannot speak Greek or, or Hebrew, and yet I, I, I know because the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And I, to the point that I teach even the scholars of Greek and Hebrew in our church. So how far the joke of God will go, I don't know. And so brothers, take heart and have hope. And really, I'm not trying to be humble. It's not about who is important. It's about God who does it. If God does it, everyone can do it. If God does it, you can do all things. And it will happen. Amen? 
And so let's continue. And so it says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And so this test is not from the perspective of spiritual discernment. This test is dokimaso. To see if every spirit is in purity and holiness. And so that means you need to see its fruit. So as I said earlier, so I'm having this conference with you because I trust what, uh, that this is fruit that, that is being born. But in these end times, during the time of the two witnesses, the trust that the leaders and the followers will have needs to come together. And that's the reason why I'm inviting you to Korea. I'm inviting you to, to Israel. So that you can, as you see our church, having this spiritual trust and bear, that seeing that God is bearing this fruit, that God is bearing this fruit all over the world. And this is Jokimatsu, to test the spirits. So without this trust, we cannot go together. And so for the most part, you do not prophesy to someone you meet for the first time. We do other ministries, but I do not prophesy very much. Because if we don't have the spiritual trust in one another, how can I prophesy for you? Because if I proclaim a prophecy, I need to bear the responsibility of that prophecy. And I do not bear that burden to just anyone. And so this dokimatsu, this spiritual uh, trust is very important. So test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are, there are many false ones, false things. You know, as I said, in this time, it was like a shopping mall of spiritual philosophies. And so even now, that's what's happening on in this day and age. That one ministry, as he hears one sermon of legalism, it takes one year to clean that legalism out. If you hear the word that is influenced by uh, success and achievement, it takes a year to clean that. And it's, it's not, the danger is not heresies that are clearly heresies. The dangers are what's similar but are still false. This is the people who have been vaccinated, of, have Jesus vaccination. These are the things that we need to be wary of. Do not hear the sermons of these kinds of people. You should not follow their flow. And so if you think that Zoe ministry is false, don't come here. If you think the Zoe ministry is mixed, don't come here. I'm speaking this from the objective standpoint. But if this is the truth, if this belongs to God, then put your life here. Amen. Okay, don't don't uh, be on the fence. If this is real, give it your all. If it's not, then don't come here. It must be clear. Hallelujah. 
of a sudden your face has gotten darkened. So let's continue. Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, let's change tonight's, today's afternoon session to verse three to three o'clock because too much time has passed by. So I'll do three to five, okay? Okay, it's better for us to finish verse John. Amen? So let's look. And so let's look at the objective proof of what belongs to God. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so this all is saying that this belongs to God. That Jesus' Christ is one characteristic of the Spirit of God. As we said earlier, that acknowledging Him as King. If you add other things, then that is false. Jesus alone is King. God alone is King. Hallelujah. And so you need to be able to discern wickedness and weakness. Okay, you confess Jesus as King. But in your weakness, you're unable to live in His kingship. Then God has mercy on you. But let's say you are wicked. And your desire makes you always move however you want. That means you are king. That is wickedness. Then you need to repent. Because Jesus alone being king is the source of happiness. And then going beyond that, what else does it say? That you have to confess that he, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That's saying that he is the same man just as you and me. This is the essence of Christology. That Jesus came perfectly as man. Of course he had the identity as a son of God. But until he died on that cross, he never used that identity. If he used it, then our salvation is null. So until that cross, he continually kept it a secret that he is the Son of God. This is the, called the Messianic secret. It's a secret. Do not say, speak of this. If you look at John 2, Mary says, Mary says to Jesus that the wine has fought, that the wine has run out. And what does Jesus say? Women, what does this have to do with me? Even though Mary was his mother, and yet he says, "Woman, how amazing is that? Why did why did he speak so harshly?" Because Mary knew that Jesus is the Son of God, and so he's she's asking for a miracle. But what does Jesus say? That this is after I die on the cross. And so without that, there's no miracle. And so what did he do? He relied upon the Holy Spirit. And several years ago, I spread out my ministers. And 
I poured water into a cup before them and I said that this water is wine. Drink it. And they all got drunk. The next day they couldn't even go to school. That's how drunk they were. Even though they had a test the next day, they couldn't take the test. And so I experienced the miracle of John 2. And so after I asked them, when did this water turn to wine? Until they put it to their lips, it smelled like water. But the moment they drank it, it became wine. That the moment they drank it, the Holy Spirit came into them. And so I believe that Jesus used the Holy Spirit at that time. So let's continue. And so these two things must be sure. That Jesus is king and that he came in the flesh. Every spirit that does not... Uh, sorry. Why? Him coming as man is the requirement for him to be our savior. That man can pay the price of man's death. And so from that perspective, he is the last Adam. And the mediator and the second Adam as the mediator of the new covenant. Hallelujah. And so he became man to perfectly fulfill the requirements for our salvation. And what was the second reason why he came in the flesh? As Hebrews 5 8. That he is the source of our salvation. And what it means, what the words, this word "source" means model. In Hebrews two, it says that he is the model of our salvation. Why? Because as he lived, we are to live. And as he said that those who believe in my name will do greater things than I have done. And so, because he lived as man, if we empty ourselves and rely on the Holy Spirit, we'll do the same things that he do. Not only that, but we'll do greater things than he do. Jesus is our model, not Adam. So Romans 5, or 8, or Romans 5, said so Jesus came in the failed place of Adam. And so though Adam failed, Jesus, where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. And so Jesus is the complete restoration of the failure of Adam. That means that leadership has been restored. And so especially as pastors, you need to have the gift of leadership. What is the gift of leadership? That just as David gathered the fringes of the society in the, in the caves of Adullam, those fringes ended up becoming the rulers and governors of Israel. And so if they, you give them 100 cents, they can turn that to 1,000 cents. That you give them a dollar, it turns into $100. You give them $100, it turns to a million dollars. Right? Hallelujah. This is the leadership of God to, uh, to multiply and subdue and fill the earth. Amen. And so bless, be filled with this blessing. So we're almost finished. 
Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So verse 2 says that those who confess are belong to God. And so this is clear that the, that, that the Catholic Church is a heresy. Why? Because they do not acknowledge Jesus as man. They completely say Jesus is God, only God. That he has nothing to do with me. To the point that we need to pray to Mary. And then they take the authority and rule over man as man. And so, Ad, or so Catholic Church is a complete heresy. Their focus is that they do not acknowledge Jesus in the flesh. Now they say Jesus came in the flesh. But to them, Jesus is not the mediator of the new covenant. They do not acknowledge the Holy Spirit. Look at the tradition of the, Holy, of, of the Catholic Church. That if three miracles happens, then that person is a saint. Then all of you are saints. And so third, why? Because perfect victory. And so because he came as man, he gave us the complete victory. Amen. And so you need to understand that you have the authority to disarm the devil. They cannot touch you. Amen. You have the authority to trample the neck of the enemy under your feet. Believe. The witches are nothing. Witches are nothing. Have faith. And so, uh, every spirit that confesses Jesus. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. And what is Antichrist? Antichrist keeps you from believing. It makes you deny Jesus. And so what makes you, keeps you from believing Jesus as man, keeps you from believing everything of Jesus. And the Antichrist is already here. The, which you heard was coming and now is all in the world already. And so the spirit is here, but the spirit is now going to enter into a person, and that person will be the Antichrist. Now verse 4. We're almost finished. And so how should we live then? This kinds of people, how will they live? Little children, you are from God. You are God's possession and have overcome them. Again, this perfect victory is written in the perfect tense. It has already been done and it will continue and continue into the future. And the ultimate victory has already been decided. And so no matter what state you may be, the end result is victory. And so as you're praying, it's difficult and you might be, you might be struggling. And the devil may say, 
Uh, oh no! Uh, no, you should say to the devil, "Do whatever you want," because ultimately I'm going to win. Amen. That's the faith you need to have. And so we'll talk about victory again in chapter five. But and so and so, um, uh, and you are from. Wait, what? Where are we? Verse four. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So what does it mean that he is greater? That no matter what the devil may try to do, he is under God. Other religions, they are not gods, but anyways, these gods are all under God. They cannot be God. They cannot be the creator. And so uh, there's a religion called pantheism, right? What is pantheism? Pantheism is acknowledging all kinds of divinity. But no, that's not the case. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry, I can't hear him. And so we can draw near to the throne of grace. And so we can uh, mess with the devil and, and play with the devil because the devil cannot do anything to us. God has already judged the devil. And yet why are they still here affecting us? Because Pastor Kim might be bored without the devil to play with. So that we can relieve our stress. Where else are we going to relieve our stress? And so when it says he's greater, he's talking not about size, but about scale. He's in a completely different dimension. Two dimensions cannot understand three dimensions. Three dimensions cannot understand four dimensions. And so in order for me to come to here from America, it takes five hours by plane. This is three-dimensional world, right? But God's dimension, He can fold, fold the universe. And so five, five million light years becomes an instant. And look at Isaiah. He says He rolls out the universe like a scroll. Um, this is really important discovery found in the 21st century. Really, God can fold the universe. Right now, in an instant, this world, this universe is expanding. The universe is a living thing. And going beyond that, this amazing universe, this large universe, is in the hands of God. And going beyond that, in Second Peter, when the kingdom of heaven enters into the universe, 
this entire universe cannot uphold the heaven that it rips apart. And so the kingdom that you serve is this kind of greatness. Is the kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is the God that you serve. And so are you going to sell your soul to the world? When you look at Isaiah, he sees a revelation. The universe is like an ocean, and the earth is like one ripple in that ocean. And really, in the universe, there are billions of stars. And in that universe, there's me. It's so hard to see me, right? In that universe. And yet, what, where's your greatness? Even though you're so insignificant, God treats you as his own. And those who believe this, understands that the universe enters into me. And that's why we can say that the church has the authority to rule over the universe. You rule over the universe. And so it's not just the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, Joshua tells to the sun, stay in the stay still in the sky. And so the sun stays still. If the sun stays still, what does that mean? That means that the entire solar system stopped moving. What does that mean? That the Milky Way stopped moving. What does that mean? That the entire universe stopped moving. When did this happen? In Joshua's time and also in Hezekiah's time. And now it's going to stop again. When? When? In, in my time, right? In my time. Look at how, what great privilege we have to live in God's glory. And so it's impossible to live with this insignificant world. Are you going to sell your soul to the world? No, because the dimension is completely different. They are in three dimensions, I am in four dimensions. Okay, when I was young, I used to be a little rascal. And there were a lot of ants in the, in the field in my, our house. And I would piss on the, on the, on the, on the ants. Then the ants would go crazy. Ah, the world is coming to an end. The world is coming to an end. Right, to Pharaoh, the Red Sea split. But to God, he was just taking a piss. That's, that's the image of what it means to live in different dimensions. Amen? And so let's hurry up and finish. Verse 5 and 6. And so what happens? They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And because we belong to God, we need to only listen to God. Shema Israel. Israel are those who listen to the word of God. All we have to do is listen to the words of God. And because we belong to God, we just turn our ears to God. 
And so what does that mean? In the relationship with God, in fellowship with God, He is continually speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is continually speaking to us. And what does He say to us? God speaks to us. And so if you look at John, John 3, 24, that the people that the man of God keeps speaking what God speaks amen and so verse 6 we belong to God and whoever knows God listens to us and again this is talking about fellowship he's going way too fast one moment um Ah, and so whoever does not listen to us conversely uh, is not from us why can we listen to the words of God because the Holy Spirit moves on the truth the word and the truth cannot be separated or the word and the, and the spirit cannot be separated Isaiah says Jesus and the Holy Spirit is not separated and Isaiah 48 16 that the Messiah and the spirit cannot be separate and so this may seem like a simple principle but this is really important to understand if you're filled with the Holy Spirit you're filled with the word you're filled with Jesus these are all the same so if you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with Jesus. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Word. These three things cannot be separated. And so from this perspective, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. Why? Because the Spirit and the Truth cannot be separated. And so, if you're listening to this truth, it means that you have right relationship with God. And if you are confessing that truth, means you are in the right place. If you are in light, if you are denying light, you are in darkness. And so are you looking at the light? Even though this time is going further and further, you are listening to the truth. Amen? Hallelujah. So I'm grateful. Yes? So we'll meet in the afternoon. Let's give the glory to God.